This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Notice that one of the most effective weapons against fear is the remembrance of what God has done. He says, remember the Lord great and mighty. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Every time you're afraid of the path that lies ahead of you, what you and I need to do is look behind us and remember what God has done when we were afraid before, when we thought he wouldn't come through and he did, when we didn't understand what was going on until later. He's not gonna forsake us now. Have you ever been scared? Panic is something that we seem to deal with daily. But how do we combat that? In today's edition of The Ascending Life, Pastor Josh talks about how to fight against the anxiety of the world. It's so easy to be scared about what's going on in the world. It seems like there's no control, but we have the Lord on our side. God is our cornerstone, so nothing can shake us. He has already won every battle that we face. When you get fear or anxiety, lean on the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Nehemiah chapter four, as he continues his message, building and battling. Verse 7 tells us, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, the list of enemies seems to be increasing uh, from the first two, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem, and notice, and create confusion. The first tactic of the enemy was the intimidation of the enemy through mocking. The second tactic of the enemy is the infiltration of the enemy through confusion. And always note this, if the enemy can't get you from the outside, he will try to come inside. And he will create confusion among the ranks. So you have the Samaritans to the north, the Ammonites to the east, the Arabs to the south, the Ashdodites to the west. Israel is surrounded by nations that want their destruction. Apparently, a lot hasn't changed in the past several thousand years. And the method was to conspire and confuse. You know, there's a reason Paul told us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, because Satan wants to get the church confused. Did you hear what happened over there with that guy? Can you believe what this person did to me? No, did you talk to him? No, but I'm telling you about it. I'm confused. Did you hear about this doctrine? Did you hear about this teaching? Did you hear? And all of a sudden, everyone's like, what, where are we? What's going on? I'm confused. And the enemy has slowly infiltrated through whispers and through gossip and through lies and through assumptions and through speculations and through false doctrines to the point where the enemy's outside, they don't have to say anything anymore because the church is doing it to themselves. Families fighting from within. Verse 9, again, notice, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Notice he recognized that the attack was coming from the enemy. And not only now are we going to pray, but we're also going to set up a watch. Set up a watch. Be on guard. For your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Pray and watch. Watch 
and pray. Does this sound familiar, watch and pray? Remember when the disciples fell asleep, when they were supposed to be praying, when Jesus was in the garden, and Jesus finds them sleeping? What does Jesus tell them in Matthew 26? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer and action are attached. Now, here's the truth. We must never act apart from prayer. That's true. We can't just go do things without praying. But here's another truth. We must always act after we prayed. Prayer prepares us for action. Notice that they're on guard day and night. Verse 10 continues. Then Judah said, "Uh, who is Judah? Is Judah part of Israel or not part of Israel? Is anyone awake? I know I'm going long, but this is, keep with me, guys. Is, is Judah, the tribe of Judah, part of Israel or outside of Israel? Part of Israel. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come in their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, If one or two times wasn't enough, you got to do it, say, ten times. Persistence. From whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Do you notice the enemy's tactic here? It's starting to work. Judah, the leader of Israel, right? The, The tribe everyone looks to. Oh, it's Judah. We follow their example. We listen to what they have to say. Judah's over there. You know, they're kind of right. Everyone's so tired. Work's not going very well, and everything's wrong. Maybe we should just give up right now. Let me ask you, how many discouraging voices does it take to infect an entire congregation? One. One person who says, why are we doing this? We can't do that. That's not what we've always done before. It's too hard. It's not worth it. Everyone's tired. We just need a break. I mean, I wouldn't want a workout partner like that. You know, I'm like in the middle of a bench press, and he's like, you should probably give up right now because your arms are shaking a little bit, and I I don't think they're probably going to fall on your neck and just choke you, you know? Like, thanks. I'm really going to make some progress with you right here. And if that wasn't enough, their adversaries are still at it, right? And they're saying, "Don't don't turn off your lights at night, and Look in all your closets and don't walk down the hall without being afraid because we're right around the corner and we're in the secret midst and we're just waiting. We're just going to kill you as you're going about your... And just this constant fear, fear, fear. Something's always lurking around the corner and it's going to get you and it's going to destroy you. And then the Jews that were around hearing this, they came and said, hey guys, 10 times, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. I'm not going to do it 10 times. It's It's exhausting. When you don't even know it, they're going to kill you. Like, no wonder everyone's walking around on pins and needles, paranoid and afraid. Our culture knows nothing of fear, right? I mean, we know nothing of trying to live our lives with something lurking around every corner that's going to destroy us and kill us. And the thing about this is that the enemy was never actually really prepared to kill all of them, they were just blowing smoke. They wanted to make God's people paranoid and sleepless and afraid and confused and fighting. Pretty soon they would self-destruct from the inside out. But notice Nehemiah's response. He doesn't give in. 
to the fear. He doesn't give in to the doubt and the weariness. Verse 13, he says, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Notice that Nehemiah fortified two areas, the foundations and the openings. Everywhere the enemy could come in and and get a foothold, Nehemiah put up a guard. I think the foundations represent the things that we believe. Guard what you believe. Don't, Don't let false belief systems in. But the openings, that represents the things that we receive. What do you allow to speak to define how you think, your philosophy, or your outlook on life? What are the things that you receive into your heart? What are the things you believe about God? You need to protect those things to keep a strong foundation against the enemy. And thirdly here, I want you to notice that he set people according to their families with swords, spears, and bows. Like, I could just see him handing out, you know, the 11-year-old kid there gets, gets a bow, and, you know, sister gets a spear, and families are gathered in this unit. He's prepared. Notice he's equipping families. Family unit under attack, yes or no? Currently, yes, absolutely. Fathers, mothers, marriages, children, kids, all, me- all a mess, all a mess right now. And Nehemiah says, no, you protect that family. You get together, you get united around the cause of the gospel, around the call of God. And in verse 14, he continues, and I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, I love this. You got to print this off and put it somewhere you can see it. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Notice that one of the most effective weapons against fear is the remembrance of what God has done. He says, remember the Lord, great and mighty. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Every time you're afraid of the path that lies ahead of you, what you and I need to do is look behind us and remember what God has done when we were afraid before. When we thought he wouldn't come through, and he did, when we didn't understand what was going on until later. He's not going to forsake us now. Remember the Lord, great and mighty. And then notice, fight for your brethren, not fight with them. Stop fighting with each other. Start fighting for each other. Start fighting alongside each other. We all have the same enemy. Verse 15 through 17, he continues. The narrative here tells us, and it happened, when our enemies heard, I love this, When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, notice God is the one who did it, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, and and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction And with the other hand, they held a weapon. Notice that the two things that the people of God needed to be effective was a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other. They had to be ready to fight and they had to be ready to work. I've noticed that there are many Christians who are great 
builders. They love to serve, and they're always doing something. But when a conflict arises or a battle rages or a fight needs to be fought, they're the first ones to back out. No, I'm, I'm not, don't get me involved in anything controversial. I just want to stay back here and don't put me on the front lines. And then there's other people who they're like, I don't know, like Rambo or something. They're like, where, where, who can I fight and destroy? You know, they're, they're like running out there with their Bibles and like, ah, <laughs> like William Wallace. I mean, they're just, they're fierce and they just want to fight. They want to fight someone, fight something but when there's a, a need that needs to be served, something that needs to be done behind the scenes, they're kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to get involved. I don't really know if I want to serve. I just, just let me go blow something up. And the Bible says we need to be people who have the courage to fight when we need to fight and the humility to serve when we need to serve. And when God's people are courageous in battle and humble in service, they're unstoppable. Third and final point here, we've seen the intimidation of the enemy. We've seen the infiltration of the enemy. Finally, if those two tactics don't work, we have the isolation of the enemy. If Satan can't get at you from the outside and he can't get at you from the inside, what he will try to do is to get you isolated away from the body of Christ. Verse 18, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side and he built And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Notice Nehemiah in his leadership perceives something important. Everyone is excited, everyone's united. Everyone is fortified against the enemy and everyone is working, but the problem is they're working so far apart from each other that there's no way to keep the line of communication open about what's needed, about the enemy that might be attacking over here or about the resources that are needed over here. And so he says, this is not going to work. If we get isolated from each other and we don't have communication around each other, someone's going to fall prey to the enemy. And there is nothing worse as a Christian than to hit a temptation or hit a need or hit a moment of weakness or sickness or disease and to reach out and to call for someone and no one's there and you're by yourself. So Nehemiah gets the idea. I'm just going to have a bugle boy. I'm going to have a guy with a big shofar trumpet and he's going to follow me wherever I go. And wherever I see a need that I need all the people to gather around and rally around, the guy will blow the trumpet and the trumpet will be heard from all corners of the wall And we'll all get together. We'll see God do something right there in our midst and fight for us. And this tells me that communication helps protect us from isolation. If you're married, you need to write that one down. Communication will protect you from isolation. What do you mean isolated, Josh? I'm married. Yeah. How many people that are married are like two isolated people living under the same roof? Because they don't communicate. Because they don't know how to talk to each other. Because they don't know how to soften their hearts and open up to each other anymore because of the years or experiences of hurt and and mistrust or trust that's been broken and, and intimate moments have been ruined by unkind words or unkind actions and 
They just stop talking. That's a great way to make yourself vulnerable to the enemy. Start talking. Start talking with a counselor in the room with you. Start talking. Start communicating again. And this is also such an important place for the church. I'll be honest with you as a pastor. I have looked at this over and over and over and over again. And this is the one area where I'm still asking myself, man, Lord, what does this mean for the church? To have a bugle, to have a point where we can all be in communication about the needs that are going on around us and how we're going to meet those needs and how we're going to serve those needs together. You can pray. You can pray for your pastors. In fact, will you pray for us? I I know that may be a little weird for me to ask right now, but pray for us. God's called us to lead in turbulent times where there's, I mean, a thousand, you, you have no idea how many things come across the radar. Someone say, oh, you need to do this. Oh, Josh, you need to do this. And you need to be thinking about this. And you need to talk about this. And, and we need to do this as a church. No, we need to do this. As a, it's like, whoa, everyone's on the wall and doing their thing. How do we get all together? How do we focus in? So please pray for us as we seek to lead in this way. But verse 21 tells us, So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. Do you find that an interesting detail to close the chapter with? He's like, the enemies had attacked, and we stood against them, and we're everyone's building, and, and we didn't take off our clothes at all, except when we had to wash them. It's like, thank you for that piece of information. <laughs> what a powerful piece of information. I'm so glad that's there. What does it teach us? Well, obviously, it teaches us that when you're working really hard, remember to shower every once in a while because it's, it's hard to work with people who stink. Just kidding. That's not what it means. Seriously, as we work, it can be easy. Here, here's the thing with the clothes, okay? What Nehemiah is trying to communicate is that we didn't waste our time being distracted by what we're wearing, right? To take off a shirt and to take off clothes every day and put them back on is a moment in time where we're not staying on guard against the enemy, where we're not ready to fight, where we're not ready to build, where we're not ready to battle. So we didn't take off our clothes because we weren't consumed with clothes. We're consumed with the warfare and the work. That's what we need to be consumed about. And I love that. How many things are there around us to distract us from what's really important in this life? How many little things? Didn't, didn't Jesus say, is not the body for more than your clothing? Is not your stomach for more than food? We were created for greater things. And what are we going to wear? And where am I going to live? And how, what kind of car am I going to drive? All those things are fine. They're all things we have to live. But we have to have our focus centralized. Amen? Amen. But notice he says, we didn't take off our clothes. But then he says, except for washing. In other words, In every battle and in every building project, there comes a point in time where you need to get cleansed. You need to take a break or you will wear yourself thin and wear yourself out. 
You need to let the word of God wash over you. You need that time in the morning with the Lord. You need that Sabbath in your life. You need the time to let Jesus wash your feet and take the dirt from fighting the battle and doing the work off of your body so that he can prepare you and fill you for what's next. And so the the application is twofold. Number one, to stay focused, like a laser focus, precision focus on the work that God wants to do in this world here and now. And at the same time, make sure we take time to be with the Lord, to rest, to become refreshed and strengthened for the battle and the building that is in front of us. I'll end with a quote from H.A. Ironside. As As I looked at the application to our modern day situation where the church is under attack, where the enemy is trying to take ground, where the church in large part is walking in fear and intimidation of the world and the enemy. H.A. Ironside, and it's a little long, but follow along here, it's important. He said, carnal professors will mock. So-called liberals will demonstrate their bitter hatred of everything holy. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and find all needed grace to stand in the evil day and to distinguish between what is really divine and what is but of man in the great mounds of mingled truth and error, lying all about the ruined walls that once separated the church and the world. Every fresh attempt to try things that differ will provoke the ire of the worldly religious mass. But what is of God is of too much value to be surrendered at the behest of fleshly foes. In other words, to break it down, the work of God through the church is too valuable to surrender to the enemies of the world and the flesh and the devil. What we do, church, matters. For God is building a wall of love and of truth and of righteousness around our homes, around our church, around our community, in this nation and in this world, and he's using us to do it. If there is a stone in front of you, pick it up. If there's a battle around you, sound the bugle. Grab the Bible, which is the sword of the Spirit that you use to vanquish the enemy, and it's also the shovel that you use to dig and build the foundation of your life upon. May the Lord encourage you in whatever he places before you. Don't be overwhelmed by the magnitude of the work. Just be encouraged that God has chosen you to be part of it. Amen? Father, we thank you, God, for your word. It's a powerful chapter. I know a long chapter, but so much treasure in that, well, in the whole book of Nehemiah. But Lord, here we find the encouragement we need to withstand the attacks and the tactics of the devil. And Lord, we pray that you would fortify this church and these saints and these believers to build and to battle for the causes of Christ in this world. Lord, may we be willing to give our all And would you refresh and strengthen us that as we grow weary in the work, we would never grow weary of the work. Experience a rejuvenation of your Holy Spirit upon our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would send us out even today excited to see what possibilities lie as we exit into the world, what lives need to be touched, who needs to hear the gospel, and that you would set us aflame with a passion for your name, We love you, Lord. We thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just been listening to another edition of The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. 
If this is the first time you've tuned in to this broadcast, we want you to know that we're a ministry based out of Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. This radio program wouldn't be possible without our faithful listener support. We love to hear that our listeners are praying for this ministry and are grateful for those who feel led to give financially as well. Would you consider giving to this ministry? If so, simply go to theascendinglife.com, find the About tab, click on Grace Calvary, and then look for the Give link at the top of the page. If you're interested in getting to know us a little better, you'll be able to access more information about our church as well. Theascendinglife.com is where you need to go. You can watch us online via Facebook. Just search for Grace Calvary Chapel. Going back to our website, you can listen to a variety of teachings that Pastor Josh has given, as well as find a way to submit a prayer request. That's all at theascendinglife.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We trust that this message has met you right where you are, and that God will use it to awaken you to the love, truth, and power of God. May you go about the rest of the day with that at the forefront of your mind. From all of us here on the production team, thank you for listening. We hope you'll come back again for another broadcast of The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing in.